Good morning. Can you hear me now? Oh, I was going to say surprise because you closed your eyes and then suddenly I was up here. I want you to know that out of respect for the prayer time, I kept my eyes closed most of the way up here. Just, you know, I, I did my best. I know I would have just walked off the edge if I had continued to do that. So I tried not to do that. Good morning. It's, uh, it's good to see you again. I know I've been away a lot and uh, I, I have some things to share as the message progresses because it, uh, there are things that really apply to what we'll be talking about this morning. Uh, I, 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 I was in the Philippines and Singapore the first half of July. I was home for three days and then left and, uh, to, and went to Brazil and was down there for a meeting uh, with the Comple, the Congress of Indigenous Evangelical Pastors and Leaders there in Brazil. It's a it's an organization made up of several representatives from several different tribes. Normally, the Complet Conference is quite large. There are four or 5,000 there, uh, sometimes 3,000. This one was quite small uh, because they were making plans for uh, reaching the rest of the unreached tribal groups there in Brazil and in the rest of Latin America and uh, with the idea that the day will come when we'll be able to work together over there in Asia, finishing the job with the 2,000 tribes uh, that are there. And uh, so that song that we just sang, let every kindred, every tribe, on this terrestrial ball, to him all majesty ascribe and crown him Lord of all. That's what missions is about. There are people groups around the world that are not worshiping our Lord and Savior, that are not worshiping God the Father, because they don't know about him. They don't know what he's done for them. They don't know the efforts that he's made to rescue them. Before I go any further, uh, there's been some developments since I was in the Philippines, and uh, we were up and visited the plantation, and just this week something happened there at the plantation that I want to share with you later in the context of what we'll be looking at, uh, because we're going to be looking at what it means to be rescued. Uh, that, uh, you'll see that title as we get to it. Uh, but we also got a message from uh, Joseph and Len Tan Chi. Some of you have met them and probably remember them. Um, their daughter, Danny, is now eight years old. She turned eight uh, in January uh, and is just an awesomely sweet little girl. Uh, we heard from Joseph and Len this week that uh, Danny has been diagnosed with lazy eye, which, um, uh, you know, from the outside, the, the way it's been explained to them, her, her brain is no longer communicating with her eye, and of course that makes it sound all the more serious. And, and so there's treatment uh, that lies ahead, and uh, of course we, we got in touch with them right away and, and told them that we were praying for them, and I told them that you would be praying for them, so don't make me a liar on this one. Um, and Len sent this back in response to that. She said, uh, Lorraine said, uh, thanks, Jay. It's been tough, really tough for us. But Danny actually encouraged me one day and said, Mommy, God doesn't do things for no reason. He always has a reason when he does things. So I asked her what reason he might have for her eye issue, and she said, I think God wants to teach me to be more focused and to work hard. Lazy eye, you think about that. I think God wants to teach me to be more focused and to work hard related to what I was explaining to her about the treatments and pushing through consistently every day. And then she said this, I'm not really very focused and I don't like working too hard. I was encouraged by her self-awareness, Len said, and the ability to look beyond the situation at hand and into God's greater purpose. I added to that about how I do believe God has a plan for her. That's what he wants to teach her and train her. And it will be all for his glory. We're feeling quite excited after that conversation. So uh, I, I trust that you'll be praying. We know that God is up to something. Uh, we won't ask God why this has to happen to this family that's in ministry and very focused on, on what they're doing. We'll just take for granted that God is going to rescue them because this morning... We'll be continuing our studies in Paul's second letter to Timothy in a series entitled, Be Strong in Grace, and this is part 59, and entitled, The Lord Rescued Me, and we'll be unpacking Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 to 11, and I can say here that, uh, that we're going to look 
pretty closely at this word rescued and what rescued actually means from God's perspective. I know we all have an idea, you know, if, if I were to say uh, I was, I was uh, swimming in the lake and started to drown and they rescued me, you know how that story ended, right? Uh, our house was on fire, but the fire department came and rescued us. Then you know how that story ended as well. There'd be more conversation, but rescued has a particular meaning. And Paul is going to stretch that just a little bit for us this morning. And so I hope that whatever it is that you may be facing right now, whatever it was that made it difficult for you to sing, I will sing of the goodness of God. All my life you've been faithful. All my life you've been so, so good. If you were stretched a little in trying to sing that, then I hope this morning uh, will make a difference to you as we look at what it means to be rescued by God. It might not mean exactly what you think it means. Last week... Brian walked us through verses 6 to 9 of chapter 3 in 2 Timothy, and he helped us to understand four very important things about false teachers. They're deceptive, they're dangerous, they're damned, and they will be discovered. They are deceptive because they stalk their prey. I, I'm sure we've watched these, uh, these commentaries, these animal shows that show us how a lion takes down a gazelle even though a gazelle is so quick. They stalk their prey. They creep through the brush. They creep through the grass and, and they wait for the gazelle to be inattentive. They wait for their prey, their quarry to be inattentive. And as soon as their quarry is not paying attention, they bounce. But the pouncing happens after the stalking. And the stalking may last several minutes, but the pouncing just happens in a few seconds. And that's how it works with false teachers, as Brian pointed out. They don't go on the attack right away. They don't announce to you that we are going to be undoing the gospel of God's grace, that, that we are going to be teaching contrary to God's word. They, they don't announce who they are. They, uh, they don't go on the tack right away, and they take time to lull us all into inattentiveness. And that means that just like a lion or a wolf, the false teachers don't identify themselves as such. They start out slowly, and they take their time. And by the time they're perverting the gospel and denying God's word, you're already asleep and unable to discern their deception. This is not rocket science. We've all seen documentaries about predators. And we know from watching those documentaries that it's too late to run away once you're in the lion's mouth. And the same thing is true of false teachers. Once they capture you, once they capture your attention, once they capture your heart, it can become all but impossible to get away, to find your way back to the truth. So when it comes to false teachers, the best offense is a good defense. In other words, when it comes to false teaching, it's be the best way to not be involved with them long-term is to not get involved with them in the first place. As Brian pointed out last week, when it comes to trying to understand God's word, we should never go looking for new truth. If, it new, if it's new, it ain't true. One of the profs at Bible college used to say, if it's new, it ain't true. And I know ain't isn't, I, I, we don't need to go there, but it's not True. And as proof of that, look at what Solomon has instructed us in Proverbs 22:28. Do not remove an ancient boundary stone set up by your ancestors. Don't remove it. If your ancestors have put it there in place, don't remove it. But I guess that begs the question, when it comes to the faith, who are our ancestors? Who did we come from in the faith? Well, Joshua would be one of our ancestors, and, and Paul would be one of our ancestors in the faith as we look back to where we come from, to name a couple. And I, and I guess, uh, and I can tell you that I've, I've already run across false teachers who disagree with either Joshua or Paul. And I've run across a few who disagree with both Joshua and Paul. And when I find someone who disagrees with Joshua or Paul, I don't care what kind of a degree they have. I don't care what kind of background they have. I don't care how big their church is. When, I, when I'm forced to choose between Paul's teaching and what Paul believed and what this person is teaching, I choose Paul every single time. Every single time. But the false teachers will try to lure you away from Joshua and Paul, and they'll do that under the guise of teaching you God's word. That's how it works. In other words, they'll pretend to, to, to teach you God's word while, in fact, they intend to deny God's word. 
And that's why Brian warned us last week that they're dangerous. False teachers are dangerous. The false teachers are dangerous because they oppose the truth that has been taught to God's people in the same way that Janus and Jambres, you remember those, those two? Somebody should write a song about Janus and Jambres. I think that, uh, I could get down to a song like that, I'm just saying, but, but uh, Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. You see, Moses came with a message of freedom. That's what it was all about. Moses came with a message of freedom for God's people. And Janus and Jambres stood in Moses' way, and today we have the message of the gospel that sets people free. And so the false teachers are standing in the way of that to the best of their ability. The false teachers want you to replace the simplicity of the gospel with something that's much more complicated. They want you to stop thinking that you're saved by faith in Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf and to start thinking differently about your relationship with Christ and why you have one. They want you to start thinking that faith is not enough And some of them will even say that faith is not necessary. They want you to start thinking that only people who work hard and do good deeds will have eternal life. Or that everyone is saved. That's another great theme that they have. Everyone is saved. And even those who who don't believe in Jesus, and that's why they would say that you don't need faith. In other words, they'll find a way to take away what you believe. But listen... They can't take away what you believe if you refuse to let go of what you believe. That's the crux. That's at the center of the matter. Still, the false teachers are dangerous, and that means that we can't go through life like a gazelle who doesn't believe in lions or like a sheep that doesn't believe in wolves. We don't want to be those kind of people. We don't want to be looking... False, false teacher, false teacher, who's got the false teacher? We don't want to be doing that. We don't want to be playing a game where we're suspecting everybody, but we need to be alert. We need to be alert. So stay awake. And stay alert. And keep comparing God's word to what that podcast is saying. Keep comparing God's word to what that podcast is saying. And if the teacher that you're listening to disagrees with God's word, move along. Walk away right away. Inconsistencies with God's word are a sign that the teacher you're listening to is stalking you. Those tiny inconsistencies, they're hiding in the brush. They're they're lurking along and stalking you. And that means you need need to get away from them before they pounce. Because by the time the pounce happens, it's too late to get away. Brian also told us that the false teachers are damned, and now he's got me saying that word from the pulpit. That that was clever. That was clever. But it still isn't swearing because damned is a Bible word, just just so you know. And we couldn't say that they're darned anyway. False teachers sell themselves as doctors who can cure you. That's what they do. But in truth, false teachers themselves are riddled with stage four cancer. False teaching is a cancer that sickens the patient more and more as the cancer grows. And we know how silent cancer can be as it invades the body. If a person's not doing any kind of screening, then he or she might be in grave danger without even knowing it. Think of the screening. Think of studying God's word on your own and comparing it. Or if the patient does the screening and then decides to ignore the results of the screening, he or she might simply lean back into the idea that there's no danger. But we all know that ignoring the results of the screening does nothing to slow the disease. The patient will likely feel well at the beginning of the, of the disease because some cancers are less aggressive than others. And once the disease begins to take hold, the patient doesn't lose ground every day, but gradually, gradually grows weaker until the entire body succumbs to the disease. Cancer is relentless. And if, you're going, if you want to recover, you have to be just as relentless in your treatment of that cancer, up to and including pulling that cancer out by the roots so that you can make your way back to wholeness and well-being. Untreated cancer is, is inevitably deadly, even, either over the short or long term. And we need to understand that everything that I just said about cancer is entirely true of false teaching as well. If you make no effort to root out the false teaching, it will progress like stage four cancer and ultimately take you down along with everyone else in your family who follows your lead. 
So not only for yourself, but for the sake of those that you love, be aware. So do regular screening for false teaching in your life and, and root it out anywhere and everywhere that it shows up and watch for it in the lives of those that you love to make sure that we all arrive together. And, and know that staying alert can, can really can save you from false teachers and false teachings because as Brian said last week, as he taught us last week, the false teachers will be discovered. That was the fourth D. I was invited, as I mentioned earlier, to attend and speak at a conference in Chapada, Brazil. That's, uh, it, the conference was held right near that. I realize that's not terribly clear, and now it's gone. But, um, and uh, uh, it was hosted by Comple, the Congress of Indigenous Pastors, Indigenous Evangelical Pastors and Leaders. I won't even attempt it in, in Portuguese. But, and that's what I did when I was in Brazil this past week. There were 68 mission organizations represented and several churches, including Briarwood uh, Presbyterian was there, as well as many tribal groups and, and many tribal churches. And I'm not making it up when I say that nearly all of the people who spoke had something to say about the gospel and the need that we have to keep it pure and intact. And that includes all of the tribal men who make up the board of Complet. Every one of them had something to say about the gospel. Remember, we had met together to look at getting the job done there in Latin America. And they're feeling a pressing need to make sure that our message is pure. Every one of them talked about keeping it pure and intact. And in fact, there were so many that warned against false teaching that I didn't feel the need uh, personally to talk about false teaching when I spoke. In other words, those that spoke against the false teachers and in favor of keeping the gospel pure and intact, didn't do that because of a conversation with me, in case you're feeling suspicious that this is, that was me down there riding my hobby horse. It had nothing to do that. They, with that. They weren't reacting to something that I said. They were responding to the gospel-defying false teaching that's found its way even into the remote tribal areas there in the Amazon in Brazil. But I love it that the tribal leaders are not asleep. They're not asleep. They're identifying false teaching, and they're calling out false teachers. And I want to emphasize again that had nothing to do with me. These men had been preparing their messages for months. And I don't know what you think about tribal people in remote areas, and I don't know how much experience you have with that, but I have to say, if they expose and oppose false teaching with their limited education, information, and exposure then we should be on top of that issue as well up here in the United States of America. We should be exposing and opposing the false teachers as well, but it seems to me that our extensive education somehow have made us more vulnerable to the attack of the false teachers. I'm not sure I fully understand that. Maybe we can draw from some tribal wisdom from a heritage story from indigenous people right here in the American West. You see, there was a... A tribal brave who was making his way across a river after a spring rain. There was a river where there didn't used to be a river and it continued to rise. He knew that if he didn't get to the other side of it very quickly that he wouldn't be able to get home. This is an actual indigenous story from the American, Midwest, the American West. The river had grown up out of nowhere and as he waded down into it, not wanting to be stranded on the wrong side of the river, as he waded down into it, he was washed downstream a little bit and got closer and closer to this branch that was sticking out of the middle of the water. And on that branch was sitting a huge western diamondback rattlesnake. And the rattlesnake was looking at the man as he crossed the river, and as the man crossed the river, the snake actually spoke with it to him and began to plead with him to carry me across to the other side. I'll die here in these waters. Carry me across to the other side. And the man, of course, was hesitant. It was a rattlesnake, after all. He knew the damage that a rattlesnake can, can, uh, can cause in the human body. And so he said, no. At first he said, no, I'm not taking you. I won't carry you across the river. And the snake said, oh, please, I, I'll, I'll, uh, I, 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 I'll, I'll surely die here in this rising current. The man finally relented. He reached down and gingerly, carefully grabbed the snake, and the snake didn't strike. It wrapped around his arm as he made his way across the river, very nervously. They got to the other side to dry ground, and as the man put the snake down 
on the, on the ground. The snake recoiled and struck him right in the arm, pumped his venom into his arm. The man said, wait a minute, you, you, what is the, you, you promised, you promised that you would not do that. You promised that you would not do that. And the snake, the rattlesnake, responded with a hiss. You knew what I was when you picked me up. And you can take away from that whatever you want to take away from it. I'm sure that Native American little boys and girls, when they hear that story, are inclined to think of all the people that they know what they are and what it means to trust them. And that's the same, the same principles apply. If you pick up a false teacher, if you start listening to what that false teacher has to say, then that false teacher ultimately will strike you. He will pump his poison into your system and you will begin to die from that. But listen, you have no one else to blame but yourself because you knew what that person was before you picked him up. So the false teachers are deceptive, dangerous, damned, and discovered. And that concludes our review for this week, which means that it's time to move on and unpack the passage for this week. And of course, we always do that by first reading it aloud together. So if you, uh, if you will, if you're able, will you stand with me as we read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. Thanks. You can take your seats as they turn the lights back up, and as you do, whisper another prayer that God would speak to you through this passage this morning. The story that I want to tell you this morning comes from the book of Acts and is a story that I've told you several times over the years, of course, when we studied Acts. But, but even as we've studied First and Second Timothy, uh, I, I've told you this story before because it, it's a huge commentary on the relationship that existed between Paul and Timothy. Persecution lies at the heart of the story. And I want you to notice what happened and take note of how it happened because Paul will reference those two things, what happened and how it happened in this passage that we're looking at in 2 Timothy this morning. So be listening for that. And with that brief background, this is the story from God's Word from Acts chapter 14. You may remember that at the end of Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas were traveling together and they were in Antioch of Pisidia. Remember, there's a difference between Antioch, the church that sent Paul and Barnabas out, and Antioch of Pisidia. It's in a completely different region. Uh, and they had been forced to leave there. They had been forced to leave Pisidia and Antioch because of the persecution that the Jewish leaders stirred up. Paul and Barnabas then traveled as far as Iconium. Keep that name in mind. And, they got, and when they got there, they immediately went to the synagogue and began preaching. They were so passionate, they were so effective in the way that they taught that they soon had Jews and Gentiles uh, meeting, uh, uh, listening to them and, and drawing near. And, and many of them believed, both from them among the Jews and the Gentiles that had been meeting with the Jews in and around the synagogue. There were, however, some Jews who wanted nothing to do with the good news that Paul and Barnabas were preaching that Jesus was the Messiah and uh, had died in their place. And they very quickly stirred up the Gentiles who had been attending the synagogue. Because of what the Jews were saying, the Gentiles grew bitter and angry toward Paul and Barnabas and others there who had believed the message that they had preached. And so we've been divided into two major groups. The opposition only served to strengthen Paul and Barnabas uh, the, and the resolve that they had to preach and teach the word there in Iconium. So Paul and Barnabas stayed at it even though the persecution was rising. The two men relied heavily on the Lord, and the Lord continued to graciously confirm their message by allowing them to do miracles. And perhaps you remember from this story that the people of Iconium were still divided after the miracles, as some of them sided with the Jews and, and some of them sided with Paul and Barnabas. The, the opposing Jews and Gentiles both went separately to their own government. The Jews went to the synagogue, the Gentiles went to the city council, the city government. 
and asked the city government to take action against Paul and Barnabas. And there were plans to stone Paul to death. And when Paul and Barnabas heard about those plans, they left Iconium and went to another nearby town. They continued to preach the good news in that new town and in the surrounding countryside. And while they were there in that town, there was a man in the audience who was paralyzed. He had been unable to walk since birth. And uh, <clears throat> the man was, very, was listening very intently. And, and, and Paul was convinced as he looked at the man that the man was truly believing what Paul was saying. Paul knew that his faith was strong, so Paul caught his eye, as I catch your eyes sometimes when I'm up here talking, and he said, hey, to this guy that's been paralyzed since he was born, hey, stand up, stand up and walk. Well, the man didn't just stand up, he, he jumped up, he leapt right up, and, and he began to walk, and of course the crowds noticed right away what had happened, and, and, and they saw what Paul had done, and they began shouting in their own language so that Paul and Barnabas couldn't understand them, the gods have become men and have come down among us. They, it was clear that only a god could do that thing that, that he had done. And there's a great deal of confusion and there's a whole story about, well, Paul ends up saying, we don't want no bull from you, but uh, that's, you'd have to go and look at it to understand that in the context. We, we don't have time to go into all the confusion. Read Acts 14 later today. Check it out for yourselves. What we do have time to say is that the, this preaching opportunity for Paul and Barnabas came to an end very abruptly. And this is how that went down. Right after all that confusion about the miracle, the very same Jews who had made trouble in Pisidian Antioch and Iconium showed up in that town where everything that I just told you just happened. The Jews that arrived from Presidian Antioch and Iconium won over the crowds. This time, everybody is in favor. It's everybody against Paul and Barnabas and the few that were traveling with him. And uh, they went to the city council and persuaded the city council to stone Paul to death. There in the city, they, they took great stones and, and threw them at Paul until he was dead. And then they dragged his lifeless body outside the city and left it there in a crumpled heap in the dust and uh, Paul's friends, the other believers, the other true believers were gathered around Paul, standing there with their mouths agape, just in absolute shock that they had just lost the apostle Paul. Everyone thought that Paul was dead until he stood up and walked back into the city under his own power. And the next day they left for Derby. Paul and Barnabas left for, Der for Derby. Now, that's the story from God's Word. Now, I, I have to admit that uh, I was keeping from something from you as I told you that story. I wasn't trying to be secretive, but, but there's an important point that I left out. I, I told you that in that town where Paul was ministering, he preached the good news about Jesus, he performed a miracle, and in the end he was executed by angry Jews and, and Gentiles who had started a riot. Then after they stoned Paul to death, they dragged his body outside the city, left him there in a crumpled heap, and then the Jesus followers that were there with him stood around his body just in absolutely despondent because they had just lost the apostle Paul. And then, and then Paul got up and walked back into the city under his own power. And the next day, he left for the city of Derby with Barnabas. And the city where all that drama and intrigue took place the city where Paul preached the good news and performed a miracle, the city where they stoned Paul to death and then Paul came back to life and walked back into the city, all those things happened in the city of Lystra. And before, before you say, ah, that doesn't mean anything to me, but before you get disappointed about not making the connection, I can tell you that all of those things happened the first time that Paul visited Lystra. And the second time Paul visited Lystra, he met a grandmother named Lois, a mother named Eunice, and a young man named Timothy. And the rest, as we say, is history. As Timothy joined Paul's team, joined Paul in ministry, and continued to travel with the Apostle Paul and work together with the Apostle Paul during the 20-plus years that lapsed between all of that and all those events there in Lystra, and the time when Paul wrote his second letter to Timothy. So where are we going with all this? Well, 
We just said that the false teachers hold back and sneak up on you by not revealing the falseness of their teaching until you're already trapped in their teaching. I didn't mean to do that. I was telling you the truth. I just called it a different town. But last week, Paul told us that false teachers can't hide their false teaching permanently. Coming off of what Brian said. Because sooner or later, we'll discover the falseness of their teaching. And once we pick up on the falseness of their teaching, what are we going to do? We're going to get out of Dodge, right? We're going we're to leave that behind. We're supposed to get out from underneath their spell and walk away warning other people as we go that this person is a false teacher. But we've just said that Paul and Timothy have been working together for more than 20 years. And listen to me, that is more than enough time for Timothy to have been able to discover whether or not Paul was a false teacher. If Paul was sneaking up on Timothy, he was sneaking up really slowly. So Paul has just said that the false teachers will all be discovered. You can read exposed. They'll all be exposed in due time. And Timothy's been listening to Paul's teaching for more than 20 years without uncovering any falsehood in what Paul has to say. And that's why the beginning of verse, in the beginning of verse 10, Paul says, You, however, know all about my teaching. You know all about my teaching, Timothy. And you know that I'm different from those false teachers, that I'm different from the people who teach falsely because you know that my teaching agrees with and proclaims the gospel and God's word. And we've already studied 2 Timothy chapter 2 together where Paul said to Timothy here, and the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. In, in other words, Paul is saying that his spirit-inspired teaching is so reliable that Timothy can feel free not only to believe it for himself, but to take it and pass it along to other people. And I can tell you today by God's grace, that I've strived to maintain the same level of integrity over the years that I've studied and taught God's Word. And I can say the same thing about Brian, and I can say the same thing about the other elders who teach here at the Potter's House. There's been plenty of time to uncover false teaching if it's happening, and there has been none. But there's more. Paul adds four words, wor four words here to point out something else about which Timothy was aware. Look at the next four words in the verse. You, however, know all about my way of life. In other words, Paul didn't just teach the truth, he lived the truth. And he's saying here to Timothy, Timothy, you know that I've shown integrity to the truth as I've taught it. But I took my teaching a step further as I have lived out the things. He, walked, he talked the talk and he walked the walk. That's another earmark of someone who is teaching the truth. And in that light, we need to see something from the book of Philippians. Look at what it says in Philippians 4.9. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul taught the truth, and then he lived out the very truth that he taught and that's why he could so confidently challenge Timothy and us to follow his example. And I am not going to, uh, you know, make a list here, but I wonder, and I'm not talking to anybody in particular, but I wonder how many of us could confidently say that. That the God of peace will be with you if you live the way that I've chosen to live. If you take my teaching and, and listen to it and you receive it and, and then you see how I apply my teaching to my own life... <coughs> How many of us could confidently challenge people to follow our example in that way? But there's more. Paul drills down even deeper into this when he says, you, however, know all about my purpose. What was Paul's purpose? What was Paul's goal? Well, that's the easiest question you've asked so far. Look at what it says in Philippians chapter 3. I love this passage. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. 
Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ has called me, for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What was it that Paul wanted? Paul wanted God himself. You've heard me say it before. Ministry is not something that we pursue. Ministry is something that we leave behind us in our footprints as we pursue Christ. Paul pursued Christ with all his heart. And that's what opened the door for Paul to teach other people. Paul's teaching, his way of life, his purpose were all driven by the word of God. All driven by the word of God. And that's why I always distance myself from anyone or anything that contradicts Paul's teaching. But there's more. Paul unpacks these ideas even further when he says, you, however, know all about my faith. You know all about my faith. I did a count and discovered that Paul used that word faith 163 times between the beginning of Romans and the end of Philemon. And while I haven't counted all the words that Paul used, I, I, have a, I have a guess, I have a gut feeling that he used the word faith more than he used anything else. And that tells us that faith, believing God, was vitally important to Paul. And that's why Paul could say to the man that he had worked closely with for 20 years, you know all about my faith. You know what I believe. How did Timothy know that? Because he could see it in Paul's life. He could see Paul's faith bearing fruit in his life. Faith wasn't just something that Paul did so that he could get to heaven. Instead, what Paul believed changed the way Paul lived. And that answers another one of the charges that the false teachers often level against us. That the false teachers claim that, that we only teach Jesus as fire insurance, as a way to escape hell. And then, they, and then they add that we don't teach Jesus as someone who will change the way you live. And I understand there are men who stand in the pulpit have, who have that habit, that just preach the gospel over and over and over again wishing to, to, to sell and reinforce fire insurance. And I can't speak for them. But I, 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 in response to what the false teachers are saying here, I want to quote Paul and, and remind you that, that you know my teaching. And you know that I do teach Jesus as the only way to escape hell. But I also hope that you know that I also teach Jesus as the living, breathing example of how we should live. Back when we studied James, you know that I taught that if the faith that I have hasn't changed my life, then the faith that I have cannot save me. Living faith changes lives. And clearly, following Jesus is, is not an either or. It's a both and. Because Jesus doesn't either save you or change your life. Jesus both saves you and changes your life. That's the beauty of following him as we grow. And that's one more reason to both dedicate yourself to the truth and God's word and walk away for the false, from the false teachers. For the sake of time, we're going to have to take these next three ideas together. Look at verse 10 again. You, however, know all about my patience, my, know all about my patience, my love, and my endurance. There are three more things that, that Paul could say about himself that I, I want very much to be able to say about myself. Paul was a man who was patient when things began to stretch him. Paul was a man who loved deeply in his relationships with others. And Paul was a man who endured through, through thick and thin. Paul was in it to win it. He was in it for the long haul and he was in it, to, in it no matter what came his way. Believe me when I say there were horrendous things that, that came Paul's way. And having said that, look at, with me at verse 10 and the beginning of verse 11. Whoop, I think that's what that was. I was one ahead. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, my persecutions, my sufferings. 
what kind of things that I, I, I happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions that I endured. I just I have to I have to pause and ask: Does anybody remember the name of those three towns? Did that ring a bell? Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What's Paul talking about there? He's talking about something that Timothy had experienced with him. Paul specifically mentions Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, and those three cities should sound familiar because that's what was the story that we just heard was all about. Paul was persecuted in Antioch and Iconium, and he was stoned to death in Lystra. In other words, Paul walked through the fires of persecution and the flames of trials all throughout his ministry in the first century. And today in 21st, America, 21st century America, uh, I have to say we haven't even smelled the smoke of the fires that Paul walked through. But he remained faithful to God and to the message of the gospel. And that's one of the primary reasons that I'm inclined to trust Paul and what Paul taught under the leadership of the Spirit of God. I'm more inclined to trust him than I am inclined to trust uh, anything that the false teachers are saying in 21st century America. Here in America, we don't know what it means to suffer for what we believe. We don't know what it means to remain faithful in persecution. We don't know what it means to lay down our lives for the sake of the good news that Jesus died for us, that he was buried and that he rose again. And no matter what you hear in the ethernet floating around you, we have not been persecuted for our faith here in the United States of America, even if you have been bullied by a troll on social media. That is not persecution, not in the vein that Paul is talking about. But all that to say that we already know that the Apostle Paul did suffer persecution and remain faithful. And we have no experience with how the false teachers would react to persecution, but we do have something from God's word that answers that question. When Jesus taught the parable of the sower, he talked about four different groups of people who hear the word of truth. And Jesus illustrated one of those, those groups of people by calling them rocky soil and then said this, those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. Keep in mind that the false teachers of our day are people who claim to have faith, but this thing that, they're believe, that they are be believing, this thing that they're teaching, isn't a thing that saves us. It isn't a thing that changes our lives, and they are in the process of deconstructing their faith, and that's what they want you to do as well. And according to what Jesus has to say here, uh, they won't be able to withstand persecutions and trials because they're their faith is too cheap to pay the high price the persecution has required. Don't fall for it. So Paul's been talking about persecutions and trials that came his way uh, because of the, the message of the gospel. And we know that Paul was forced to pay a very high price for following Jesus and for teaching the word. And uh, as it stands now, we have only one more sentence to unpack, but it's going to be the strangest of all the sentences so far. And, it's, uh, and in order to, to get there, this last sentence, there's, uh, I want to show you some pictures that we received. And they're really hard to see. I apologize for that. Uh, got these pictures from our Brucolo brothers and sisters uh, there in, uh, at the plantation after a major typhoon ripped through the coffee plantation there in the Sierra Madre. We don't know yet the full extent of the damage, but... From the looks of those pictures, harvest could be impacted for years to come. A lot of trees are down. And I'm feeling especially bad about this because the Bucalote used to be subsistence farmers, but now they're relying on this plantation for their, as the primary source of their livelihood. And the plantation takes so much time and so many resources that if it's gone or even partially gone, there's no backup plan for that presently. And in light of the faith-shaking situation the Bucalote are facing right now, I want us to look at that last sentence of the passage that we're unpacking this morning. But I want us to see it in the context of all that Paul has said so far. Look at 3, 10 to 11. You, however, know all about my teaching, 
my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, my persecutions, my sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. I want you to especially notice that phrase right there, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. And, and I want to ask you, what comes to your mind when you think of the word rescued? When I said earlier, I was drowning, but I was rescued. The house was on fire, but the fire department rescued us. What comes to your mind when you think of the word rescue? Now, Paul's the one who used the term, so let's think about it from his perspective. When, when Paul said, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them, did he mean that the people in Lystra were going to stone him to death, but the Lord rescued him by preventing the stoning? Is that what he meant? That's not what he meant at all, is it? We say that because the people from Lystra did stone him to death, and God did not prevent that. But God did rescue Paul by completely healing him so that he was able to walk back into the city under his own power. Rescue does not necessarily mean prevention. And in this passage, the way Paul is using it, rescue means sustenance, encouragement, care, assistance, and provision in spite of adversity and difficulty. They took Paul's life away, and God gave Paul his life back. He didn't prevent the stoning, but Paul came back to continue to minister. Right now, um, I mean, we, if we think about the Bucalode and that typhoon that just came through, I mean, my heart sank when I heard that news. My heart sank for them. And the Lord could have rescued them. How? By turning that typhoon. It would have been such a simple thing for him to turn that typhoon. But the word that's coming back from up there is that they are confident now that God is going to rescue them. Rescue them. And that tells me that their faith is strong in the midst of adversity. And that tells me that they've believed the truth, that Jesus has died for them. They're still looking to the future with confidence in God. And I think that's a powerful thing. They've believed the true message instead of the decomposing message that calls people to deconstruct their faith. If you think about it, God deconstructed the plantation. I mean, that's, if we want to talk about deconstruction, that's, that's what he's done. But their faith has remained intact because the message that they believed is the true gospel. I've been greatly encouraged as I've spent time unpacking this passage this week. I've been a little startled at how God brought up those two issues with, with Joseph and Len and, and with the plantation and all that Joseph and Len are dealing with right now. Joseph is the one who is personally in charge of the plantation. So you can imagine how that news about the plantation impacted him, but it came right on the heels of the news about Danny's diagnosis. We don't know what may lie ahead for the church in America, but I can tell you this, the encouragement that I've gotten from God's word uh, has made, it, made me want to be more sure than ever that my faith is firmly rooted in God's word. I intend to believe the pure, intact gospel for the rest of my life, regardless of what opposition may come my way for think, making that choice. Paul knew that Timothy knew him. He knew that he understood Paul's faith, that, he, that Timothy knew Paul's teaching and his way of life. Uh, Timothy knew that Paul was not a false teacher because he had stayed the course. I'm calling on you to stay the course. Don't deconstruct your faith. Paul, Timothy knew that Paul had continued to construct his faith over many, many years, even though there were attempts made by the enemy to deconstruct not only Paul's faith, but Paul himself. In fact, Paul's life had coalesced into a singularity. At least that's what I'm getting from this passage. His teaching, his way of life, his purpose, his patience, his faith, his love, and his endurance all combined together without one element of his life contradicting the other. And I can tell you this morning, I want to live like that. 
I want to live like that. I want my, my teaching and my faith and my, my hope, my, my love for other people. I want it all to work together to create a, a solid whole, a solid peace. And I hope that's what you want for your life as well. We've been talking a lot about avoiding false teaching when it comes. We need to talk more about devoting yourself to the study of God's Word. And so this morning I want to ask, well, I'll ask for the first time in case you're new here, do you have a plan for that? Do you have a plan for that? Where you're getting into God's Word and studying God's Word. I want to live like that. I want to live like that no matter what may come my way in the future. And I hope that you're willing and able to say the same. In closing, let me read the passage to you one more time. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, my persecutions, my sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. Will you stand with me in the presence? Father and our God, we thank you today for your goodness to us. Lord, you, you know what this month has held for us. You know that there may be people here this morning who are, are just absolutely thrilled with how the month has gone. We also know, God, that there certainly are people here who are completely unnerved, who are not sure that you're paying as much attention to them as, as they think you could or should. God, we know that you're paying attention to us. You know that you shed your blood for us. We know that, that having given us the Lord Jesus so freely, there's nothing that you will withhold from us, nothing that we need for the sake of of continuity for the sake of joy in our lives. And God, I pray that you would remind us of that. We're all going through things that you could have prevented, God, but you chose not to, and that tells us that you have a purpose. And if eight-year-old Danny can help us to see that, then God, I pray that you would help us as adults to see that as well. Thank you for the things you're doing in our lives. Thank you for rescuing us from tribulation, not by averting it, but by going through it and experiencing your encouragement, your love, your commitment to us. I pray for all those who are facing trials and ask that you would reinforce their faith through what they're experiencing. We pray for Danny. We pray for the plantation. God, we pray that you would do what only you can do, Rescue us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the plan is to trust God more fully. Whatever it is you have going on, to understand that rescue is something that, uh, that he's doing in your life every single day, and it doesn't mean that no bad things will happen. It just means that you don't have to walk through them alone. He's there to rescue you. And so we're going to go out, and we're going to be rescued. Deal? That's the play. Uh, and all that's left then is, if I am, in fact, your coach this morning, is to say, ready? ready. Yeah, there you go. Go get him, Potter's house.